Hello and Hi. welcome to Got the Runs, the comics podcast with all the sexual chemistry of a good <laughs> three siblings. <laughs> <laughs> Bethany looks unhappy already. We're off to a good start. We certainly are. And David, thank you for helping to introduce a special third member of our recording today. As you know, we rarely have guests on Got the Runs, but we made a special exception for this luminary of the comics world. <laughs> and member of our family, please welcome to the podcast from life, Bethany House and Jan. How are you today, Bethany? I'm doing well, Chris, and hello to all 30 of your listeners. That's quite generous of you. (laughs) We usually refer to our listeners as the lucky 10. (laughs) Uh, Today we are discussing, of course, we are continuing our mini-series on Tilly Walden. Today we are discussing perhaps her seminal work, certainly in terms of you know, critical and commercial. I don't know. Well, we'll talk about sales later, I suppose. Uh, But certainly her most recognized work from 2017, Spinning, which is a graphic memoir about skating. Agree or disagree, David? I I do agree with that, although this is a, a fine point of entry for an important topic of discussion that I have wanted to cover. Um, Because one of the reasons that we brought Bethany on is due to her luminous career as a a skater herself when i pitched this book to you bethany i said she's an ice dancer and after reading about 10 pages you very (laughs) condescendingly said she's a figure skater who also does synchro (laughs) so i'm looking for some clarification especially with regards to her as a solo skater as to what the difference is between an ice dancer and a figure skater well, it, I mean, it depends how long you want that response to be. <laughs> as long as possible. I was told that certain members of the podcast have a hard out. <laughs> I listened to one of your uh, early podcasts, probably the only podcast I've listened to, in fact, um, where the two of you talk about what you're like as siblings. And one of the things you mentioned was just like, a family trait is that you love explaining things Mm -hmm. and um yeah so (laughs) it wasn't wrong uh so i will do my best to explain the difference so essentially when when you start figure skating there are different levels and it's also a little bit different between the united states and canada and and other countries right but i would say just kind of based on what i could understand from her memoir Um, but it's a similar system. So the difference between an ice dancer and a singles skater um, is that, first of all, she is not doing any of her competitions with a partner. So that's kind of the biggest uh, difference. Some people may be aware of ice dance, particularly in Canada, of course, because of Canada's sweethearts, Tessa Virtue and Scott Moyer. Yes, props to the goats. We really can't, I think, have this podcast discussion without <laughs> Well, this podcast wouldn't exist without their guiding influence <laughs> and their showing that people could come from London and find success. It's <laughs> Tessa and Scott, Brian Lee O'Malley, and now us is the lineage. <laughs> Not necessarily in that order. And, and Bethany, having... I, 
having a on ice experience with Tessa, do you have any uh, stories from your career to share? <laughs> I do actually. So one of the things that led to me quitting <laughs> was a traumatic car accident. <laughs> <laughs> Where that exciting. <laughs> Scott Moyer got a lead pipe. <laughs> Sorry, carry on. One of the things that led to you quitting. So one of the things that led to me quitting figure skating was, um, I think I went, I can't remember if it was one week or two weeks, but I went to a one week kind of like intensive figure skating camp during the summer. And so it was probably, I don't know, it was like five hours of figure skating a day, let's say. And the idea was that like, you could expand your skills like fairly rapidly. And there was like a lot of kind of like on ice instruction um, during that camp, which is great. And at the end of the, um, of the camp, I recall I was testing um, a dance actually. So at my figure skating club, um, a lot of the kind of the first like tests that you do, and, and you'll see in the book, like Tilly does um, kind of like skills tests. And so how it worked at my club anyway, was that you did, there were skills and then there were dances that you could test. And so I was testing a dance um, and I was doing that with my female coach. Um, and so one of the things like about figure skating is like, unsurprisingly, a lot of the coaches, particularly for like very novice skaters, like are, are female, but in ice dance, traditionally you would have like a male skater and a female skater. Anyway, all of us to say, <laughs> we were preparing for the test there was this other kid who I think was testing the same dance as me, but he was like seven. Okay. And I was like 12. I think. Mm. So already I'm kind of like, I'm a little embarrassed that I'm like at the same kind of like stage as, as this like little kid, which was not uncommon in figure skating. Like if you could afford like private coaching and et cetera, et cetera, more ice time, then of course you rose up the ranks very quickly our parents, I would say, are not particularly, sports are not terribly important to them. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. They like, so like, they like, you know, like, liked that I liked it, but, but I think very much like, we're not interested in financing um, a mid-level competitive career <laughs> for me, which is completely fair. Um, I would not be particularly interested either. Um, <laughs> and anyway, so long story short, when I got to the test, this little kid is doing the test and his partner. So like his coach, like the person who was partnering him was Tessa, my classmate. Um, <laughs> and like the shame and <laughs> I felt like I can, I can even feel now like my face getting hot, like talking about it. I don't know. Like I just felt so dumb and like, there was no way, there was also no way for me to hide because we were in the same class in elementary school. So obviously she knows who I am and like very like kindly and discreet. Knew who I was. (laughs) Okay. We ran track together. Certainly at the time. (laughs) We were first place in the regionals in the four by 100 meter relay. Yeah. That's why you gave up skating. So anyway, so after that, because I was so like embarrassed, I was just like, there is no point in continuing this. Like, this is like just humiliating at this point. And years later, I was kind of, I didn't tell like the whole story to like um, 
a friend that I was telling for the first time that I had grown up with Desmond for sure. <laughs> I mean, I love I even I, who is like another step removed, I love to talk about it. Of course. Like she's the hometown hero. Yeah. So I but I was telling, I was saying, oh, like Tess and I went to the same elementary school and we also stayed at the same figure skating club. And then I was like, she was a lot better than me. <laughs> and I was kind of like like saying that like as an admission, like as like, <laughs> And the woman who I was telling was just like, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That multi-time world champion. (laughs) It does make sense that she was better than you. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, That is somewhat, I mean, Tilly, of course, doesn't undergo quite as direct a personal humiliation as that. But (laughs) I feel like she does reach a similar point, not so much in terms of having someone who is obviously going to be elite at the next level. But when she's like talking to her peers to be like, what is like next for you in skating? And the answers are just like kind of sad. (laughs) That's, Mm -hmm. That's like kind of the same impetus for her to be like what is actually like the end game of this for me? Because like being like a backup skater for Disney on ice is like not my career aspiration. I feel like that's like the weird thing about like extracurricular activities in general, where it's like, it is a weird to be like, what is the line? Like, I think most people have an understanding that they won't be like doing this for their careers. And so like that it's interesting at what point you sort of like decide to stop those uh, mm-hmm. and like sort of, I guess that's like a moment of emotional progression in some way, even though it feels like a failure. Well, yeah, I think it's for her sort of a like turning point. Just it, it's it's obviously the whole thing is a kind of coming of age sort of memoir, but I do think it's a turning point for her when she kind of looks at her extensively overscheduled life and then is able to delineate things that are like, being pushed on her versus things that she actually enjoys doing. And I do think that like, kind of, I guess like part of the coming of age is to like, look at your extracurriculars and be like, which of these things are hobbies and which of these things are just like things that I'm doing because like I'm being pushed into them or they like fill time in my schedule and like continuing with cello and with art for her. I mean, obviously art does end up being (laughs) more of a career oriented (laughs) thing for her to pursue, but she identifies the pursuits that are interesting for her to continue in. And then she looks at skating and she's like, I don't like doing this. I'm not going to ever like do this professionally. So like, why am I still spending time and money pursuing this? But don't you think like, don't you think Bethany that there's sort of this, it's like a push and pull, which, you know, even like looking back on my like, school days <laughs> now that I'm old and retired yeah. uh, but looking back like you sort of are like well like I mean it feels like I said it feels like a failure at the time and it's like well usually you're quitting just because it's like I don't want to do it anymore but then it's like there have been so many usually at least for whiners such as myself <laughs> there have been so many moments of like I don't want to do this anymore before that like is there a point of distinction or is it just like at a certain point, it just becomes too much? Yeah, I don't know. And I really don't know. I feel like for most things, when I said I was done, our parents were like, okay. <laughs> like there was, there was very little kind of like pushback, but I think what I, and I think a lot of kids, in fact, probably most kids have a hard time tolerating is not being good at something right away. 
and this wasn't <laughs> <laughs> I still do uh and this like wasn't that like it wasn't um it wasn't that I hadn't been doing it for long enough you know like it was more that like I did not have probably the natural talent or the financial resources backing me to continue. <laughs> like I could feel myself falling behind the other people who were skating more often than I was or sure. like, whose parents were, you know, mom's going to listen to this and be like, we should have gotten you more <laughs> private coaching. Like, I mean, not in a thousand years think that was, like, that should not have happened. <laughs> well, it is also, it's like, it is a question of desire as well at that point where like, I think it sort of becomes the combination of yeah, the yeah. desire and the resources where it's like, if right. we're going to commit to this, then, yeah. you know. And like the competence, like for me, I was like, I don't want to keep doing this at like, like being as good as I am right now. I want to like continue getting better. And it kind of felt like, I had plateaued with like sort of the schedule that I was on. So it probably would have meant like adding more days. But I think at the time I wasn't really thinking about that exactly. Like I wasn't thinking like, Oh, I just need to add another day of skating and then I'll like get better and be able to like be on the same level as people my age. I was thinking, I'm just like tired of this. Like I'm tired of feeling like I'm not, you know, not going to make the like competitive synchro team, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, I think we've gotten away from the question of like, what was, what is the difference between <laughs> ice dance? But the, the, like, the main difference is that in single skating, aside from just being a single skater, you're also doing like the kind of like typical jumps and spins that I think people associate with, um, with single skating as well as footwork, whereas ice dance is really more kind of like dance-based moves on ice and there are specific skills that would go along with ice dance but they do not jump you're not even allowed to do like lifts that have rotations in the air I believe and then the lifts also are like very specific and if I'm remembering right they're actually not allowed to go like above your head um so I have to stay kind of like below your neck anyway that's getting more time as seen in the famously sensual lift performed by Scott and Tessa at their final Olympics <laughs> showing, where she wrapped her legs around his neck. The blowjob lift, yeah. <laughs> Is that what people called it? <laughs> like, it's not, uh, well, anyway, I won't go, I won't go down that road with my two siblings, but um, it, yeah. We've had worse conversations uh, on this podcast, certainly. I feel happy to have missed them. Um, <laughs> Read Ex Machina with us sometime. <laughs> I don't remember any of this. The gas mask? I don't remember any of this. Do you remember uh, when uh, Laramie Tunsil had that gas mask bong video? No. <laughs> I don't it's... even know who Laramie Tunsil is. I feel like I've told you about this before. There is was like part of the Laramie Project? don't know what that is. Anyways. What? Really? I, sh- I don't remember anything. I'm sort of focused on the former cross right now. Uh-huh. Um, anyways, Laramie Tunsil. <laughs> he was this like highly touted NFL draft prospect. And then like 10 minutes before the NFL draft started, someone hacked his Twitter and posted a video of him smoking a gas mask bomb. <laughs> that's too and that's, bad. That's pretty much the whole story. He only dropped like 10 spots on the draft board. I think he's doing fine uh, financially speaking. Mm-hmm. But anyways, it's interesting that I feel like very quickly, beginning with the question of what is the difference of between ice dance and figure skating, that like, 
almost instantly the topic of discussion shifted towards like intense personal shame, which I feel like is the like abiding concept of this book. Because like, I mean, like for most of it, I was like, oh, like this is fine. This is fine. And then around probably like the 300th page or so, I I was just like, oh, this is like suffocatingly like depressing. (laughs) Well, I do think you kind of like see any pleasure that she takes in skating just like being sucked out of her over the course of the book until it uh, it becomes completely unbearable. Yeah, and I mean, uh, but does she ever like skating that much would be my I primary mean, question, I guess. I mean, she sort of gets into the sort of the idea that, and you know, this is also like a self-reflection. So, you know, maybe there does need to be a certain level of distance from it. But her sort of idea that it's like she saw this maternal question mark figure in the form of her first coach and that was and she sort of seems to frame it as i'm looking for this sort of surrogate parent role in my life and like that this was sort of like the way that i was searching for it even though i didn't necessarily like it Mm -hmm. yeah probably uh unpleasant to read as her mom (laughs) (laughs) she doesn't come off super well (laughs) in in this one um i do think that she likes skating because or at least initially she likes skating because the first time we really see her on the ice is during that like kind of opening intro while she's still in texas uh, and she like gets onto the ice before everyone else and is just kind of skating around on the empty rink and she does look happy and like she's having fun and it only kind of stops being fun when the like the warm-up music comes on and then all of a sudden like the structural kind of like institutionalization of it and the competitive aspect of it is introduced and that's when she starts like bickering with her like friend her frenemy um and like scowling constantly (laughs) bethany any thoughts yeah no i like i really actually related to that uh scene not that i have any skating frenemies that i remember but um just the the freedom and the joy of like going really fast on ice i'm sure any skater can tell you is a very exciting feeling and um yeah that's how i that's i i related to that feeling of just like ah like just skating is so fun and then once the kind of like competitive aspect or the you know achievement aspect kind of like starts i, I do think that um things kind of like shifted for me too i can remember that sort of like emotional shift of like and now i actually have to <laughs> like do something or yeah, yeah. I, I guess to me what it feels like especially when she sort of talks about that like she was more interested in the technical elements and like she like she sort of expresses the idea of like i just wanted to be like better and wanted to be yeah. really good where like yeah. i feel like that is just sort of like a natural thing where like she's sort of channeling this like she she likes the sort of like technicality of it which sort of makes sense with art as well not that her art is well some of her art is very technical um bethany you weren't here on our previous episode when we talked about uh what's that thing called the end of summer mm-hmm. uh this is my favorite summer something like sure. that <laughs> uh where there's like a lot of like architectural elements and like the drawing does get very technical so like i think it's more that it's like her inclinations as a person are sort of be like they're just being channeled through like whatever pursuit she happens to be doing and like it happened to be skating is what it feels like to me. 
Yeah. Well, and I think, I think figure skating is probably one of the sports that can attract a certain type. Um, that is sort of, Whoa. Like, <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't say that disparagingly at all, but I think, I think that is a little bit perfectionistic, a little bit intense, a little bit in achievement focused. Oh, that type of person. That type. <laughs> <laughs> and it being like a largely individual sport too, like I think, yeah, and all the different kind of like tests and levels to move up. I mean, it's not the only sport that's structured that way, but I think it does kind of like lend itself to a certain, a certain personality type. Sure. And like, yeah, I guess that sort of gets to another thing thing that sort of feels evident throughout the book and sort of throughout like her relationship with skating where it's like especially the sort of unspokenness of it or I guess she mentions it a a little bit is like this is a stereotypically female pursuit and that this is like the way for like a girl who is like interested in technical elements and like sort of drilling things perfectionistically like this is where that gets channeled for her as a girl. And I think that sort of, there's almost like a resentment there or a conflict between like her sort of not rejection of femininity, but certainly like disinterest in a traditional form of femininity. And then the sort of like the way that she becomes increasingly embroiled within, like, I think the, you know, and then sort of towards the end where it becomes more about like, her femininity, her body, her whatever, that that's like sort of when it becomes overwhelming for her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think yeah. that's like, that's, you know, such a, I, I was, and maybe there like was some of this, but she just doesn't uh, write about a new book. But um, I think it's certainly not unusual in sport, in sports in general, really, but I think particularly in these kind of more like appearance focused like stereotypically female sports to really focus on bodies and um you know a certain like ideal and I think even within you know figure skating like the the typical like body of a figure skater has changed I I don't know if we want to like get into all of that um please well so and I mean true figure skating mega fans can like correct me on this but the overlap between those two venn diagrams is a perfect circle assume yeah. that most people listening to this are comic super fans <laughs> right well and i like it's funny because when i was reading this like when david handed me this book i was kind of like i can't even believe this got published because <laughs> not because it's not excellent but because it's such a niche within a niche like comics already graphic novels are, already are um you know, kind of, I think still sort of niche and then, sure. you know, a young woman's memoir about her time in figure skating. Like <laughs> <laughs> I was just surprised to be holding it in my hands. But so I think like, you know, the typical kind of quintessential, at least for individual female figure skaters back in probably like the late nineties, early two thousands was, you know, average height and muscular lower bodies. Um, So, you know, like more muscular thighs, definitely like visible uh, gluteus maximus, you know, like all of of that um, kind of thing. So I'm thinking of like, you know, Jennifer Robinson. Um, I'm thinking of 
Usher's and Trenard, like those would be kind of like the two Canadian people. Mm, Elvis. Um, even like Tanya Harding, right? Like she, even, even Nancy Kerrigan, I would say to some degree had kind of this like body type. Oh yeah. And El- I mean, the men, the men are like a whole kind of different <laughs> uh, specific type, but Elvis certainly, and I would say like the men's, the, the men kind of like ideal body type has not changed so much either. Like they're, they also tend to be kind of short. They tend to be longer torsoed um, because you, that's kind of like the type you need to get the quad, which is um, essential in, in men's skating. But now I would say like in women's, in women's figure skating, we're seeing more and more of these sort of like taller, thinner, and of course younger <laughs> because it's not, it's not always easy to sustain being, you know, ultra thin um, as you, as you grow and mature. Um, but, um, and that's also because of the quad. Um, so these kind of like taller, thinner girls seem to be able to come closer to the number of rotations um, that you need to land some of the more challenging uh, triple jumps as well as kind of like reach towards the elusive quad, um, which I think was landed in this year's Olympics, but I don't have to check that. And, um, and you guys heard about like the Russian skater, that scandal from the Olympics this year. Yes. She was like found, I think to have taken a performance enhancing drug of some kind. I can't remember what it was, but I think she's 15. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think did land the quad in competition. Anyway, so just like, I think, I think that um, women kind of like wanting to like reach towards getting that like quadruple. And when I say the quad, I'm talking about a jump that has four rotations in the mm-hmm. air. It's, it's um, kind of like the Simone Biles thing of like the athleticism of the sport is really coming more so into focus. And the, like the notion of these certain moves that couldn't be performed by women, but now are being performed or coming within reach sort of for the first time. Yeah. Only, only kind of like throws the athleticism of it even more so into the spotlight because it's sort of mm-hmm. like, if that's what's possible, like if, you know, if, if these things are now within reach for women in the sport, what else could they be accomplishing kind of in terms of the athletic feats? Right. And it's like, it's an exciting time. And also I think like a certain body type is sort of like at the forefront, like a lot of the the women on the podium this year, I would say kind of fall like, or skew more like that type than the. It's in the meta as we gamers say. <laughs> <laughs> it's a universal uh, flop. Yes. <laughs> I, uh, I found it uh, interesting. Like I think kind of the balance between the technicality and the art is sort of on display the whole way through where like, you know, as, as we're saying, her art is not necessarily the most technical in terms of like, it's, it's a pretty economical style. It's pretty, you know, it's, it's more towards the cartoony end of the scale. And yet in terms of like the layouts, there's a, it's, it's mostly grids. It is pretty uniform. It is pretty structured. And then in terms of what's being depicted on the page, you know, you have these chapter breaks where she's got these kind of diagrams of various moves being performed during the testing sequence. There's lots of sort of these like footwork diagrams that are on display. And yet the book itself is so much sort of driven by this emotionalism that underlies it. And she kind of talks about in her, her like afterward basically to say 
like this is this is basically everything exactly as I remember it. But I went I like specifically did not go back to like look at photos or like read diary entries because I wanted it to capture as we so often say in the immortal words of Jay-Z, just what she was feeling at the time. Right or wrong. And right or wrong. Yeah. And and you know what? She does say some of it was right and some of it was wrong. But <laughs> I think in that sense, there was a another book. Oh, it was Lost at Sea that I was uh, that I was thinking of, where we had described it as being kind of like an emotional autobiography, even though like the circumstances of the story weren't what actually had happened to Brian Lee O'Malley it was a reflection of kind of his interior life at the time. And I think this sort of like just takes it the next logical step further where it is truly a memoir insofar as she's not necessarily like concerned with capturing exactly what happened so much as she is with capturing what she remembers happened and how she was feeling when the things were happening. So, so, you know, the, for, for as much as it has these technical elements at points, it's all in service of what is ultimately much more so about uh, like memory and emotion and things that are, you know, not so, uh, so rigid. Yeah. And you sort of alluded to David, I think last episode, the idea that like this sort of came about because like she tried to like do a fun comic about skating. And then she was like, Oh, like I literally can't like (laughs) talk about this. And maybe that there is like some underlying emotion there. And I mean, like it feels, you know, like I said, it's sort of like, becomes so emotionally oppressive that like it it feels like a very cathartic work and i think that that is sort of what sticks out to people i mean we'll talk about the sort of awards of it all later but like i think that is what makes it so emotionally potent is how i would describe it is because like you can sense how like deeply she's feeling it basically like there's so little removal from it that it feels like very emotionally powerful. Mm-hmm. Certainly. I'm curious for you, Bethany, coming at it, we tend to look at these things. Uh, we've we've been trying to train ourselves more so to pay attention to the art and pay attention to things like layouts. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously, ultimately, comics are meant to just sort of be read and flowed through. So I'm curious if there was anything to you that stuck out about the art or the storytellings or any sequence that you feel like really stood out for you just in terms of sort of the presentation or anything like that. And maybe uh, just before you do that, I, I, I sort of wanted to get to your experience with comics and sort of like, you know, you sort of alluded mm. to not we being were... able to believe that this was created. So I'd be interested to sort of just hear your overall thoughts on like the the graphic memoir of it all. Well, what, yeah, do you want me to start there then? Sure. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was beautifully, beautifully, beautifully told and drawn. And I think probably along the lines of what David was saying earlier, I think it really, it really is obviously about like a coming of age, but told through figure skating. Like it's, it's about skating, but it's not really about skating. But I appreciated, you know, how she drew like figure skating is not easy to draw, I think, or to represent um, in kind of still, still drawn images. Like photos are one thing, but I think it's not it's not an easy thing to capture um, using you know a pen and paper. So I thought she executed that really well, and I can imagine that it wasn't it wasn't um, the easiest thing to do. 
or even just like drawing yourself as an adolescent figure skating. <laughs> like I just thought the combination of those things was um, really well done. My own experience with comics. Um, well, you both have probably, I'm sure you've talked about our childhood obsession and collection of Archie comics. Certainly. Um, so <laughs> <that> was, <laughs> Certainly my my introduction to comics, other than um, also like the daily comic strips in the paper, which don't really exist anymore, sadly. Or maybe they do. I don't know if you... (laughs) Who gets a newspaper these days? (laughs) I never found out if Sherman made it out of that lagoon. (laughs) My favorite comic, of course, was For Better or For Worse. Of course. I thought you were going to say Kathy. (laughs) (sighs) I thought you were going to say Ack. Um, uh, used to our grandmother used to like cut out for better for worse worse strips like from from the newspaper and like send them to me while i was at camp you know so i wouldn't miss them so now how did you feel about the reboot the reboot oh you don't recall this so they have rebooted for better or for worse it started over again like from the beginning quote unquote this is like probably like five or six years ago now but they went back to like the kids are like just little kids again and we're like reimagining all of the stories for a modern age oh my gosh no i did not know this how old is lynn johnson well yeah <laughs> getting up there I, but i could see for better you're for 75 worse. years old i, I could see say, for like better yeah yeah i could i could see that being one of those strips that eventually gets handed over to uh somebody else at some right. point that wouldn't surprise me terribly she doesn't strike me as one of those creators who's very protective of uh, of the strip in that particular way but, uh, but yeah yes go on just other strips such as ellie getting annoyed and then hurling something at the back of john's head such as a coffee cup were also censored oh, as the yeah. strip was a family strip issues of throwing a hard object behind someone's back raised issues of spousal abuse I do actually remember those ones where it's like the third punchline panel is like John with like his eyes closed and like a smug grin and he's saying something probably degrading. And then like from off panel, a like coffee cup is like flying at his head. (laughs) I can't actually picture those quite, quite clearly. (laughs) I mean, was Ellie much better than Kathy really at the end of the day? I don't know. I can't really speak to whether Kathy was good or bad as a person. <laughs> our, our Kathy deep dive is still uh, still in the offing, unfortunately. <laughs> but back to the original question, which was like, my, what's my experience with comics? Mm-hmm. So the one um, kind of graphic novelist, I guess, that I do have some experience reading is Lucy Nistley. I think that's her name. Does that ring a bell for either of you? Nope. You don't know Lucy Nistley? So Lucy Nisley does kind of like similar um, memoir style graphic novels. So she's done some about like time living in France. She did one about called Relish, um, which is about just like food. Oh, I have Um, heard of that one, actually. She wrote one about like planning a wedding. Um, Anyway. So her her drawing style kind of reminded me of um, of this book, but that's really the only kind of graphic novel stuff I've consumed before. Mm-hmm. Um, but you guys asked about like one scene that I thought was um, 
you know, really well done. So <laughs> I'm actually just like looking at the beginning of the book right now. And I even just loved kind of, there's like an opening sequence where she's getting picked up kind of early in the morning. <laughs> and um, just like that, it's still dark outside. And then she, the, the other person's parent has like brought her a muffin to eat the car. <laughs> I don't Which, know. In my opinion, is visibly a Tim Hortons carrot cake muffin. It's <laughs> <laughs> my. I feel like they expertise. probably didn't have Tim Hortons in oh, Texas I, at for that. For some time. reason, I'm always. I always think that she's Canadian. Maybe it's the skating of it all. Mm. Well, she's still I mean, in New Jersey, actually, at this point in the book. Right. 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 That's hey, maybe great. it's a Dunkin' Donuts carrot cake muffin. Maybe it I'm, could be Dunkin'. Yeah. <laughs> You're pretty sure what, David? What do you know about Dunkin' Donuts menu? (laughs) I don't know anything about Dunkin' Donuts menu. They just strike me as, I mean, I know that they exist outside of New England, but isn't the whole thing that like Boston people are like, gotta have my Dunkin'. I think it's like, there's no Dunkin' in LA was the thing. So it's like famous people. Like Ben Affleck. Yeah, Ben Affleck famously loves his Dunkin'. Did yeah, you see that he Bob. and Jennifer Affleck went to Duncan recently? It was a big, uh, it was a big story. Yeah. And what do you yeah. think about that relationship? Built to last? <laughs> are we are we actually talking about this? Because this is like more my kind of podcast. Absolutely, I, we we are not bound by any rules or regulations. You know, I don't know. I think they're both very emotionally intense people. Interesting. Um, I did read, do you guys follow Demois? We have, this has come up in family conversation a few times in recent days. Well, uh, well, you'll we recall were talking about the Prince, Prince William. William. Oh, <laughs> yes. right. uh, there was a spot of naughtiness at the palace <laughs> in it. <laughs> sure. Yeah, okay. In it or outside of it, wherever. <laughs> so I once read a thing on Demois where someone had written in, that um and this was like at the very beginning of their relationship becoming public anyway and the person apparently had some insider knowledge somehow i mean who knows how they know um but kind of said like this might be it like this might be actually like the real deal because um jen's mom always loved him mm. and i mean they- <laughs> how could you not the mom, so JLo's mom and Ben used to like to gamble together. Whoa. <laughs> um, that feels like a really rich person thing. Yeah. <laughs> well, or or not, right? Like, I don't know. But yeah, so they like to gamble together. And, and, and we know that Ben has this like history of addiction. Um, and I think has at various points sought treatment for for sure for alcohol use. I don't know for other things as well. So yeah, he has his demons. Jennifer, I think is kind of a workaholic. A hustler to be sure. To be sure. Famously. (laughs) Can that last, can that level of intensity in two individuals last in a partnership long-term? I don't know. Mm. Well, you know, I think that Jen Garner is sort of the opposite where she was sort of the, uh, the beacon Girl of stability, door. perhaps. He's tried. That was that Alicia head. Cuthbert, I believe. <laughs> Are you familiar with the film The Girl Next Door? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The Meal Hirsch. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> He's in that? I 
believe he is the boy next door. Yes, he is. Uh, for some, <laughs> I, I was like, no, that's uh, Jay Baruchel, but <laughs> no, that's of course well, she's out of my league. <laughs> I there's always uh, never mind. I can't talk about my mental thing where I think Jay Baruchel's in failure to launch, which is of course <laughs> Matthew McConaughey. But doesn't he? Doesn't it make more sense that he would be yes. failing to launch? I can picture him doing the thing on failure to launch. Exactly. Perfectly. He's leaning back and yeah. whoa. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Uh, now we usually try and synopsize the book that we're covering. Uh-huh. That feels basically impossible for this book. Oh, really? I think it's very easy. Yeah. Uh, all right. Proceed. Well, there's a girl named Tilly. She Mm -hmm. is a child Mm -hmm. and a figure skater and Mm -hmm. gay. Mm -hmm. Uh, Not that there's anything wrong with that. Figure skating, that is. (laughs) (laughs) She, her family. Friends are figure skaters. Go on. (laughs) Uh, Her family moves from New Jersey to Texas. She continues Mm -hmm. figure skating. She has Mm -hmm. difficulty connecting with people and making friends. And she gradually grows up and sort of Figure skating, I mean, we'll sort of talk about, I think, the idea that figure skating is sort of like this, I don't I don't know how to describe it. Like, the, her relationship with the sport is sort of interesting and I think, like, feels very real and complex, which I think is sort of like the, the inherent hook of it where she can't really, and we sort of talked about this a little, she can't really seem to decide whether she likes it or not. And she likes some things, but I think mostly like she is very insular and has trouble connecting with people. And then over time, you know, she just, she just grows up. (laughs) Eventually she graduates from high school and quits skating. And that's pretty much the end of it. Like it is like a relatively plotty, like there is a sort of like through line to the figure skating levels and stuff, but it's not like, you know, it is sort of vignette as well. Certainly. But I think what's sort of interesting about it is that, like, it's the portrait. Like, it is like a coming-of-age story, quote-unquote. But with the exception of, like, her relationship with Ray, who is, like, her first sort of girlfriend, Ooh. there's not really that... <laughs> there's not really that much, like, sort of... There aren't really that many events where it's like, this is the first time I got drunk at a party, and, like, this is when this happened. Well, it's mostly never. about, like... It's mostly about her internality and about like these feelings of sort of isolation and trouble to con- trouble with connecting with people that she often feels. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. I think that part of that is born from what she set out to do, which was to have like a, a figure skating tell all. And it was going to be the like the seedy underbelly behind all of the like makeup and like pretty outfits uh and like you know blah 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 this is what it's really like and give it a bit of a like i don't want to say toddlers and tiaras treatment but <laughs> like i do think that she kind of had her sights set on like skate moms and on like kind of the unhealthiness of skating competition at that kind of like age level and then as she was working on it she was Uh, sort of like actually there's like kind of a lot more to it than just like that and my feelings about it are more complicated than that so then it starts to become more so about her feelings and then it inevitably starts to just sort of become more so about her and like her life 
And so we don't really see much of her life that's not connected to figure skating in some way or another. And I think that the things that we do see, like the car accidents that she is either close to or participating in and being assaulted by her SAT tutor and things like that, those are presented. (laughs) Bethany just made a face indicating that she had not picked up on that lengthy sequence. No, I did pick up on it. I'm just kind uh, of she was expressing disapproval. Right. I'm see. remembering like, oh my gosh, yes. Like I forgot about that entire at the end, a lot of things happen very quickly. So Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Uh but but those sorts of things which, you know, are obviously important to her life as a whole, outside of just skating, but they are presented in terms of like, and this is how it affected me, like on the rink or like this is this combined with what I was feeling in skating caused me to do this or, you know, they're, they're all presented sort of in the broader context of skating throughout. Yeah. And I think the thing that like we sort of, we, I think we talk about this a lot, especially when we're sort of talking about autobiographical or semi-autobiographical works is like it resists like it resists easiness so much, I think is like what's often the case with autobiography because like a person's life doesn't like divide itself into easy chapters and there's not like a clear path of character development. And so like, I think that that, you know, like I said, I think the emotionality is what people connected with, but I think more than anything, what people connected with is like, it does really remind you of like what it feels like to be a kid and to sort of like, be so uncomfortable like constantly and like and to like have so many feelings and not have the words to express them i think is like very often the the thing with memoirs of childhood Mm -hmm. yeah I, i was thinking about this even in terms of the ending because it feels like the kind of thing that it would be very easy to have the ending be like and then art saved my life and i became a comic book creator and like she does sort of talk about art as something that provides sort of like a release for her and sort of eventually shows her, her kind of avenue out of skating or helps her kind of clarify what to do with her life. But it doesn't, you know, it doesn't end with her like, like putting her skates in the box and picking up a pen or like, you know, something like that. It's like, yeah, that's part of it. But then now at the end, I'm actually going to reflect on how, like I didn't do right by my friend. (laughs) yeah and that's such a like a crazy thing to like throw in at the end because like (laughs) there is no resolution to that it's just like it's clearly just like she was writing the comic and i was like well i I was like reflecting on this Mm -hmm. i was just like i'll just throw this in as well Mm -hmm. well the the book is dedicated to her yep right um they reconnected i hope they're best friends now um But yes, uh, what else? Um, I've been trying to figure out some of the use of color. Uh, It is mostly Mm. kind of monochrome with this sort of like dark purple wash. But the big kind of accent color is yellow, which sometimes is... (laughs) They call me mellow yellow. Um, Sometimes it is just sort of like lighting, but other times it is used kind of very dramatically um and i think the scene where like i most sort of noticed it is the scene where she depicts her assault and there's just like yellow all over that so i was kind of looking at it as like a are these sort of like 
the core memories? Are these just sort of like dramatic effect? Like she often will use it at the skating rink. She'll have like the whole ice be kind of like lit with yellow. She'll use it, you know, in the car crash scenes, the, uh, the glare of the headlights is a very kind of bright and prominent yellow. Um, yeah. It's, it's interesting because it can, it, I feel like it sort of almost represents like strong emotion in a way where it's like, it can represent these sort of moments of freedom, especially towards the end. Like when she's sort of leaving skating and when she like comes back to skate. And I think like ostensibly the idea is like that she is sort of like this, that this is representing her sort of like moving towards freedom. And then you have like the yellow light from outside sort of lighting into the arena. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also like right after that, you have the scene in the hotel where like the power goes out and there's a storm and there's yellow all over that as well. And sort of these like yellow speckles, which are just like, I don't know, like <laughs> luminous energy question mark stars, but like, like literally like around her head <laughs> there's oh. like yellow light and stuff and yes. so it's it definitely is interesting and it definitely adds to like the starkness of it because you do really notice that yellow and it does really pop mm-hmm. well it's so often used in scenes that are otherwise quite dark uh mm-hmm. and so it's kind of hard to ignore because it's sort of like the only not on not only is it the only color on the page but it's like set against black or in close proximity to black. So it certainly, uh, it certainly makes a striking impression. None can deny. Uh, Bethany, did you have any thoughts on the art? I know you shared a little bit. Did you, did you feel the manga influence? (laughs) (laughs) Have you ever read uh, any manga, Bethany? No shot. (laughs) (laughs) Have you ever watched any anime other than Sailor Moon? Well, Pokemon. Hmm. Did you watch a lot of that? I guess you do know Diglett, yes. Dig, Diglett, Dig, Trio, Trio, Trio. It was, well, and I've said that our dear nephew looks like Togepi. Oh, yes, that's right. You, <laughs> you're the number one Togepi super fan. Who can forget? <laughs> uh, no, but my a lot of my clients love manga and anime. So it's a, it's a huge market. With... When they talk about it. Mm. Well, now if they say they're looking for something new, you can say, I just read something that has such a strong manga influence on it. Well, cook you emotionally. (laughs) Um, It's going to be really healthy for you to read. Yeah, it's a very sad book. Yeah, and like I, the sort of interesting thing is like, and I'm sure this like is in keeping with what she is feeling, but like there isn't really that much catharsis to it like no there's not at all (laughs) and like i mean like i guess there's like the thing where it's like she quits and she's sort of walking out and she's like i'm finally free but it's like that moment is like a little unconvincing almost yeah and like it makes sense because the whole reason that she made this was like i still have baggage over this and like these are not like resolved emotional issues but it is like interesting how it can be so emotionally oppressive and not have that release Mm -hmm. which is like leaves you feeling at least for me like left me feeling very like tight emotionally i guess Mm -hmm. it definitely does feel like the act of creating the comic is more cathartic than anything that happens in it because yeah it's true like the best she has is like i didn't even pay for my ice time on my last day or like (laughs) i went back and like people were mean to me but i went in and i skated around and i left um (laughs) 
And other than that, yeah, it's just like, yeah, she, she really has nothing. Like she tells she finally tells her mom that she wants to quit. And all she says is you have to tell Caitlin. <laughs> just like, Oh, okay. I mean, and I'm sure there's like more to that, like relationship with her mom, but it did. I think one of the things that like stood out to me was just like the lack of adult presence. Yeah. Presence, I guess. Um, and I feel like she has these like supportive adult characters that are kind of like in the background, but other than her coming out to her um, cello teacher, there's no kind of moment of like her con- really confiding in an adult, like what's going on. And yeah. And I think that like that obviously lends itself to what you're talking about, Chris, like that sense of kind of like pent upness, like there's no one for her to process this with who who's older or even her own age. Like, like she had Ray and then, oh, I mean that, yeah, that part of the book really was sad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, agree. I actually disagree. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, like it's, it's not even like not having someone because she, you know, there are people who it would like, you know, she has these and like clearly sort of reflects on these close friendships mm-hmm. and people who were sort of like emotional, not anchors, but like, you know, sort of st- provided that emotional stability to some extent. But even then, like she is never able to express her emotion ever really to anyone. And which I think like, you know, that sort of gets back to that feeling. I think that that's why this was such like a cathartic work because it's like I'm laying out to everyone now mm-hmm. what like I couldn't lay out to anyone before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, it does again, call to mind. We talked a little bit, I think last time about the sense that you get of her and even more so I'd say in this, like being a memoir in which she relates, like having difficulty socializing with people, having difficulty making friends, like generally feeling uncomfortable confiding in people. And then when you see her or read her in interviews, she does come off as very outgoing and vivacious. And, you know, maybe part of that is is having kind of like found herself or become a, a bit more secure in her identity. But then at the same time, she also talks about taking like a certain amount of pleasure in people like coming up to her at conventions and stuff and being like, what did your mom say when she read the book? Or like, what did your dad say? Or like, have you talked like to Lindsay again? Or like, what does your brother think? And she is just like, that's between me and them. And like, which is true. And also she seems to like kind of delight in (laughs) frustrating people by like not revealing more, but also like, she's not just doing it because it's like funny to frustrate people. It's also you know, she, she does end up back in that same sort of zone of like, I couldn't even like talk about these things with those people. So I'm not going to talk about it with you, a stranger coming up to me at like a convention and asking me about like, you know, very personal and intimate things. Yeah. And I do think that like her kind of journey into art, as we sort of talked about a little bit last time is that it does allow her to express some of the things that she finds difficult to express in other arenas, but she doesn't like, you know, she doesn't cede control over what she's willing to share. And like everything that she puts into it is something that she is choosing to put out. And anything that she doesn't is something that she's choosing to keep for herself. Yeah. And I think like, 
you know, such a big thing in like all forms of art nowadays is like sort of the ability to tell your own story, the ability to like control your own narrative is sort of an expression that gets put out a lot. And I feel like that's sort of like what this is in a way where it's like, you know, it, it certainly feels like (laughs) from her perspective that we see in the book that it's like most of life is sort of like things that are being inflicted upon her that she like doesn't really have this choice in. And so, you know, making the comic is like an act of sort of emotionally expressing herself, but it's also sort of like giving herself some level of empowerment in like the story that she's telling to some extent. Right. Yeah. And I, my, my sense too, is that some of this is kind of a work in progress. Like I think one of the reasons that the book, the book gives like paints a picture, but it doesn't necessarily wrap it all in a bow or tell us what it all meant is perhaps because some of that work is still happening or was still happening at the time of the book's publication. Like we haven't talked yet about how young this author is um, and like even younger when the book came out. But um, I wonder if that's like some of, like this is still very recent history. This is not like a 40 year old looking back on their adolescence. It's a 25 year old or maybe even younger than they were. She was, of course, 22 when this came out, or 21. She was probably 21 when it came out. Yeah. Out. Yeah. So, like, she probably did a lot of this work when she was maybe 19. 19 and 20, yeah. Mm-hmm. Just yeah. messed up. Yes. <laughs> yes, we have already talked about how wrong it was of her to be so talented and so successful at such a young age and have henceforth put a moratorium on <laughs> expressing our rage and jealousy it's true uh, but <laughs> but yes to, she was extremely young <laughs> yeah and to that point bethany something that you were not privy to is when we were discussing brian Lee o'malley and you know david mentioned lost at sea earlier one of the things we talked about was like it's because he wrote that when he was very young as well and one of the things that we talked about was like it's so impressive that someone this young can have this level of like emotional distance and like emotional awareness. And then this is almost like not the opposite, but like it sort of presents an interesting contrast because this is like so clearly someone who is still living in this emotion and like doesn't fully like hasn't reckoned with it or like doesn't fully understand it even maybe who is just like pouring this out in like a way that ends up feeling very honest as a result. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, perhaps more raw than it would have been as a 40-year-old looking back on her adolescence, yeah. She does seem like an old soul, though. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Like all old souls, she loves Zoe 101. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) Did we already talk about Zoe 101 uh, when we were at the cottage? I feel like we did. Yeah, it came Because it's... You're too old for Zoe 101, is that correct? Possibly it came up at the cottage when we were way together, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was too old for it. I think and I was she- in the sweet spot, but it never really hit. Sweet spot of Zach and Cody. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah, it is very weird work. I mean, shout out to Dan Schneider. Mm. <laughs> Careful. I'm not sure. recently, too. 
Yeah. Yes. Uh, Je- from Jeanette McCurdy's memoir. Speaking uh-huh. of memoirs, Ooh, who did uh, who did she date? Andre Drummond. Andre Drummond. Yes. Right. Very briefly. Yeah. Andre Drummond. <laughs> NBA player. Okay. Famously hairy shoulders. Yeah. Oh yeah, I forgot that was a thing about him. <laughs> Uh, and now Chicago Bull, and therefore one of the best centers in the league. Now, speaking of topical I feel news, rim protection problem there. <laughs> speaking of topical news, um, spinning does in fact have a a connection to a recent news story, I which saw is that this. yes, the library uh, in the states that recently made the news for being defunded by uh, its voting public. Part of the, or I guess the uh, initial complaint that led to the defunding vote was because they refused to remove three books, one of which was Spinning by Tilly Walden. Uh, and uh, and it was part of the young adult section that was allegedly designed to groom children. So it, uh, it has inadvertently become the center of something of a, uh, a media interest. I wouldn't go so far maybe as to say... Uh, a firestorm. a firestorm but uh <laughs> speaking of comics yeah uh a little sneak peek for our forthcoming uh john ostrander series uh he wrote <laughs> firestorm for a long time anyway yeah. <laughs> i can see it all around anything more to say about this book its interior its exterior yeah i mean like like I said, like, I feel like the overwhelming, like, feeling I felt was just, like, this, like, crushing repression, which, like, I guess, <laughs> you know, certainly reminded me of my own childhood in some ways. Not that I was, like, you know, well, Crushingly maybe. Repressed. Maybe I should make a comic about my childhood. Oh, gosh. Uh, <laughs> make sure I come off looking good. <laughs> There's an old prospector I shared a room with. <laughs> Uh, yeah. uh, Anyways, I'm fine. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, like, I feel like I really related to those elements of it, which I think is also like, I don't want to say it was unsatisfying the ending, but like, it is sort of hard to like go through that and then like just have it end, kind of. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say this is my favorite of hers that we've read so far, but I do feel like it's like, I fully understand why this like captured people, of course, because I think it's so emotionally potent. And I think that that's maybe part of why it was like kind of difficult for me to read in some ways that like it captures that feeling of like adolescence so effectively. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely her kind of like signature work at this point in her career, at least, but I am sort of in the same boat where I'm like, I like enjoying it maybe is not the right word for like the sense that you come away with. It's just, it's more so like an impressive achievement, I guess, in some ways, not to say that like, I don't like it, but it's like when you, when you hear kind of the, the raving about it that has taken place or kind of like see the accolades, I think you expect something that is a little bit more like, 
or or I guess <laughs> you expect to read something that you will not close and like feel empty, but <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, like feeling empty is kind of her signature vibe. If you like follow kind of more of her work or or read more of her work, that sort of like melancholy. Yeah, we, is... we talked about that idea of melancholy and sort mm-hmm. of like, uh, but I mean, like what this doesn't have is like, any wistfulness like because i feel like often like a coming of age turtle be like even though it sucked at the time those were the best years and this is just like these years happened and now i'm alive still (laughs) i do think what's helpful about this um about there not being a you know that arc in some ways that we really want as readers where and everything was okay in the end or And then this happened, or now looking back, I can see is that I think the more, you know, kind of this is like such an old, maybe almost cliche, but I do think the more kind of specific a story is, the more universal it becomes. And the, you know, just the high specificity of I was a mid-level competitive figure skater in Texas, where I then realized that I was gay and my cello teacher helped me through it. Like, <laughs> it's hard to imagine a more kind of specific <laughs> story. Um, and I think that's what's really special about it too, is that, yeah, you'd be hard pressed to kind of find anything else like this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, can't deny well, David, can, shall we talk about? It. Okay, uh, shall we talk about the the awards of it all? Because I know you've been chomping at the bit. Or is it I, I don't know if I'd say it. Uh, it's yeah. I guess it's technically champing. That sucks. I'm trying to find the full list of nominees, which I have not yet turned up. So give me. I one have moment. it here somewhere. Here it is. So in the field of <laughs> yes, pie in your face, as I like to say. <laughs> The Eisner Award for Best Reality-Based Work, a mm-hmm. weird award to be sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lennon, The New York Years by David Funkinos. Who could that be? <laughs> <laughs> it's you in an Afro wing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Calamity Jane, The Calamitous Life of Martha Jane Cannery, The Best We Could Do by T. Bui, is that how you pronounce this? Which is also... A graphic memoir about someone who immigrated from Vietnam to the United States and then spin or sorry, one more Audubon on the wings of the world. Uh, that one does not have a Wikipedia article. <laughs> um, and then spinning wins famously, which makes her one of the quote unquote youngest Eisner Award winners ever, but maybe just the youngest Eisner Award winner ever. Yeah, that remains i haven't done that any more exploring of that since we talked about it on the last episode but i do feel pretty good about calling that just a straight yes youngest <laughs> no this 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 <laughs> seems wrong i'm sorry i'm looking at comicbook.com which famously has suffered a severe degrading in terms of its quality but it seems to be suggesting that it was also nominated for best publication for teens, but that is one of several categories where I'm like, I don't think that's a category, (laughs) but, uh, but yes. So 
winner of best reality based work which is a slightly unusual category um although do do the oscars not have like best documentary or like sure it's just weird that it's like best reality based work especially because like you know a documentary is sort of at least ostensibly inherently capturing like a real thing like you can't have a documentary comic (laughs) no not really although there are like um like Joe Sacco and um, Guy DeLille are both sort of known for sort of like journalistic comics about like, sure. I just life, mean that like life in you Palestine can't, or things like that. Like you can't literally depict like a real thing. Like, you know, it's a documentary, true. like you can't point a camera at something. I guess you could in a way, but you know, it's not. Yeah, the same thing. I do. I do feel like maybe nonfiction should be uh <laughs> the a retitling for that category but um, i guess they sort of did that because they were like didn't want to say nonfiction because there's sort of calls into question how nonfictional is it because like but this it's like she didn't you know make like take reference it's all just based on her memory so well yeah but like there are some things that didn't really happen or happened in a different way than she says so can you really call it nonfiction at that point I mean, uh, that's true of any memoir, I think. I don't think that's sure. unique to um, to spinning, certainly. And and those generally would be classified as nonfiction. But so, yeah, uh, lauded uh, pretty, pretty well instantly. She's got a new publisher uh, moving over to First Second, which is kind of, I, I tend to think of as sort of the premier destination for young adult books, which this is, I guess you could say... I I don't know like who who would you I guess like the idea that this isn't like a public library or like you know yeah I mean this is kind of like the whole thing of her that we talked about a little bit with her previous stuff which is that like it's kind of young adulty and like I think that she is excited about the possibility of young adults reading her work but you're not going to read this like in the same way that I think some adults read young adult fiction like prose fiction as kind of like a guilty pleasure or to appreciate sort of like almost the pulpy aspect of it you're not reading this because it's like you know a a like beach read or you're getting some kind of like guilty pleasure from it like it is a very adult work in some ways in many ways I, i would even go so far as to say i do feel like that's kind of always the thing with like things that realistically depict like teenage behavior mm-hmm. is like, this isn't appropriate for children to read. Yeah. It's like, well, like a child did like do these things. So. <laughs> uh, a child practically made this book. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't have any problem with like a 14 year old reading it. No. Um, Bethany... this to a 12 year old. Sure. 10. <laughs> Four. <laughs> uh, I'm actually planning to read it to Caspi next time I see him. <laughs> um, and a quick update for you, David. There is indeed an Eisner Award for Best Publication for Teens. The winner, <laughs> behind your face, the winner this year is Monstrous by Image Comics. Yes, Marjorie Liu and Sana Takeda. Yes, and the other ones are. Jane, which appears to be an Aline Brosh McKenna written Jane Eyre comic. Not familiar. <laughs> Something called Louis Undercover. And weirdly, a, I didn't know this existed. A comic adaptation of 
the animated short film The Dam Keeper, which was nominated for Best Animated Short. Uh, there's a very cute pig in it, so I have seen it. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it tells the story of Pig, an introverted youth who lives in a windmill and keeps a dark fog from engulfing his town. Uh-huh. And of course, as a year of the pig baby, you're always interested in what cute pigs are doing. <laughs> Just so. Uh <laughs> There was a great tweet yesterday that was, the caption was me and who, and the image was of these two, like, porcelain or, like, pottery pigs with the label, like, pigs with no specific duties. It's funny. (laughs) That is funny. Anyways, uh, I think that, yeah, awards-wise, like, it is in that interesting zone where I think we talked about previously, it's funny how a book can like get Eisner buzz and kind of like be all the hotness and then people like sort of forget about it. And I would say that that has not happened to spinning as much as it has to some other books that I could think of, but I am sort of, and and we'll talk about it maybe a bit more um, as we get later into her career and see her working more with like corporate comics. But for as much as like, I think that, the corporate comic scene would love to have her. Yeah. This, this book occupies kind of a weird cultural space where I feel like when people think of it, it's as like the name maker for Tilly Walden, but Tilly Walden's name outside of kind of like the literary and indie graphic novel scene is not necessarily kind of like a, a force unto itself, but I think she probably has kind of like more name recognition with sort of like, the bookstore crowd than most of the kind of A-list comic creators of the day. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, I mean, like, it's such a weird thing where, you know, it's the same as like when some like indie movie comes out and then people like want them to make a Marvel movie. Like it's literally the exact same thing where it's like nothing about this makes you be like, (laughs) for example, she should do the walking dead (laughs) video game spinoff comic as she is now doing yeah like it's just it's so strange because it's like it makes your name but then it's also like so of itself that it doesn't like necessarily point to anything else Mm -hmm. it is like i think in terms of kind of her popular success probably still her biggest book even though she has done a fair bit more since then but uh, but yeah, we'll we'll talk about the interesting directions in which her career goes after kind of achieving this uh, this early success sales wise. I wasn't actually able to find a whole lot, but of course, as always, the caveat is I'm looking at Comicron, which uses the direct market distribution numbers and does not include anything from <laughs> bookstores. What is that? <laughs> I'm smoking my Comicron. Oh, I see. <laughs> So I, I know that this book did well, but it, uh, it, you have no evidence of it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I know that it did well because the origin story of her next book, uh, which is called not lost in space on a sunbeam. That's right. On a sunbeam is that she got her like advance for this book and was like, all right, bye. I'm going to go live in Tokyo for six months and draw a free web comic. <laughs> So, you know, she did well enough that she could travel abroad extensively and work on uh, a comic that she was literally giving away. But yeah, like I said, for the same reasons that 
she might be a bit more well-known to the bookstore crowd, then popularity of the book is not really reflected in the comics industry sales numbers. Sure. And like Bethany, it almost feels like, does that sort of lead you to like, take this, take more interest in this or take this more seriously because it is well, no, seriously, like because it is like sort of positioned in this way that it is more literary and more serious than a comic would otherwise be. And you're not someone who's already engrossed in comics in the way that we might be. Yeah. Like, I mean, I've always, I certainly am like interested in graphic novels. I don't know that I would, it would be like the first, <laughs> it wouldn't be like the first thing that I would pick up, but I've, Yeah. I, like I said, I have read like some Lucy Nisley. That's the, oh, I can't remember another one. Like the quintessential like graphic novel. Mouse? I think it's Watchmen. about. Watchmen? Is somebody? Yeah, we've covered yeah. it on this show, yeah. in fact. <laughs> so. well, always, and maybe actually I have read Persepolis. Always has to be the fan. I feel it like would. it was one of the early kind of crossover. Yeah, we talked yeah. a lot about on our Persepolis episode that sort of it's like in classrooms and like right. it's yeah it's definitely it's definitely one of those ones that is uh it's a like hundred comics you must read before you die type book yeah and in the same way that this is i mean i i was not surprised because this is a very banned from a high school library core book <laughs> uh yeah that's a good way to put it <laughs> But um, but yeah, I think that uh, unless anyone has any final uh, scintillating observations, that uh, that that will do it. Next week we will be on a sunbeam uh, to discuss her triumphant return to fiction and science fiction specifically. Um, some real like Phoebe Bridger core is how I would uh, describe mm. kind of the tone of that book. Although I guess that's kind of her whole. <laughs> her whole vibe but uh but yeah we'll we'll get more uh that sweet melancholy goodness when we get into that next week sure it's interesting that you chose to compare to queer women but uh, i'll I suppose i'll look past that uh, i don't actually see sexuality <laughs> you certainly do not um, i'm more comparing to sad women <laughs> <laughs> Two women who need to smile more. <laughs> and I keep telling them that, but they just don't listen. <laughs> My DMs have got unanswered for years. <laughs> Thank you all for listening. Uh, as David strangely alluded to, <laughs> next week we will be covering on a sunbeam, which, you know, we're, again, this is a short one. So we're already, uh, you know, going to be halfway through or whatever. Uh, so look forward to that. That will be fun. Uh, remember to rate, review, subscribe, etc. Be oh, lucky to, ten. Yeah, you forgot to tell people to tell a friend at the top. That was your oh, new whatever. mission. It's a special episode. We have a guest. A very special episode. <laughs> sure. You can follow us at Got the Runs Pod on Twitter. You can email us at. Oh yeah, Bethany. Since you're shaking your head, what do you think of the title of this podcast? I mean, it's. Typical, I guess. Um, Weren't you the one who pitched strip club? We're all we're all wearing green and brown, so it's probably. <laughs>
Okay. This might be our runniest episode yet. <laughs> Gottherudspod at gmail.com. You can reach out to us if you want to get us banned from your local library. Uh, listen to Bevy of Bevies. Listen to High Floor, Low Ceiling, which is currently on hiatus, but listen anyways. Uh, you can follow me at C House and Jane on Twitter. Uh, Bethany, do you know how we end our episodes? No. And we... <laughs> We say in unison to be continued. Uh, So until next time, to to be continued. Bethany was sort of more mouthing than saying. I wasn't sure how fast you were going to say it. That's always the game. Yeah. I'll give you a hint. It's usually pretty.